0: Amen. Let's turn in our Bibles, if you've got a Bible with you, to the uh, book of Ephesians, if you could do that right now. So Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians 6 and verse 5. Reading from the NIV, in, it reads like this. It says, Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favor when their eyes are on you, But like slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not men. Because you know that the Lord will reward everyone for whatever good he does, whether he is slave or free. And masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no favoritism with him, with Jesus, with God the Father. There's no favoritism with him. So we're looking together at the letter to the Ephesians, God's New Society. And so this morning, we're looking at spirit-filled work, We've been looking over a number of weeks at the Spirit-filled life. We looked at being filled continually with the person of the Holy Spirit, how that is a lifestyle, a process, and also it can be a moment-moment crisis. And we've been spending time at looking at what it means to know, to be full of the Spirit. And then Paul goes on to share that there is a real... It's so necessary to be filled with the Spirit of God so that we can live Spirit-filled life, so we can live a new marriage. And so we've been looking at spirit-filled marriage, what it means to husband and wife and life together. We then looked at parents and children um, and the spirit-filled life in the home, whether we be married parents, single parents, and we've looked at that. What does it mean? So this morning, we're going to look at work, and uh, we're going to deal with the text. It's not a definitive study on God's view and the Christian view on work and life, but this morning we're just going to look pertaining to the text that we're looking at, but we're going to look and touch upon life and work and how we can live this new life, this new society, to be the new people. We have a new life. Uh, Our names are written in heaven. We have all the riches of heaven. The Holy Spirit renews our lives and gives us the power to live this new life. And we've been saying that we're called to live this life. We're seated in heaven, but we're to walk and to live a life worthy of the calling to the glory of God. One of the songs that we're singing this morning was about I Want to Live for Your Glory. Well, we're all singing this morning. We want to live for your glory. Well, this morning we're going to look at how we can live for God's glory at work and in life, and whatever work we do, whether that's paid work, voluntary work, whatever work. Whatever calling and place in life we live and are led to, how we can live for God's glory. So in a very, keep it briefer this morning um, with the time that we have allowed and the heat that there is here. Um, Some years ago... A guy called Bob Geldof was was the lead singer of the Boontown Rats. He's the man inspiring, the inspiration behind Live Aid in 1985. So it's going back a few years. But when they were top of the charts, the Boontown Rats had a hit with a song, Tell Me Why I Don't Like Mondays. Tell me why Bob Geldof would sing, shouting into a microphone, I don't like Mondays. And uh, I don't know about you, but sometimes you get that Monday morning feeling. Maybe every day of the week could be a Monday morning feeling for you. But there's that. Bob Geldof was singing the song, trying to answer and ask the question, why don't I like work? Why don't I like that Monday morning feeling when you've got to get up? You've got to roll out of bed. There's something to be done. Life's got to go on, that type of experience. And a bit tongue-in-cheek, but they sung and they made a mint Uh, with that song. It really struck a chord at the time. It was catchy, even if it wasn't your style of music, because it struck the chord of the human heart, answering and asking and trying to answer the question, what is that life really all about? You know, in the time that this letter was written, so 2,000 years ago, Paul, the man called Paul was writing to slaves and masters. You might say, what's that got to do with work? Well, we'll have a look at this in a minute because there is a crossover from um, a view of God for working life. But at that time in the Roman world, there were, believe it or not, 60 million slaves in the Roman Empire. 60 million slaves. In actual fact, when Paul was writing this letter, slavery had got to such a degree that in Roman life, Roman citizens that had some money did no work at all. They let the slaves do everything. It got to a stage in Roman life that slaves didn't just say, wash your feet or sweep the street, but they would hold even high office in the land. Major jobs, even major... places in state and in life and in government. Some major posts would even have slaves. There would be in the judiciary, perhaps. You'd have people that would be um, in political life, people that would write your letters for you and would even run your whole household on your behalf. They would govern your house on your behalf. could go to a slave. And so in Roman life, it got to such a stage where many Romans just sat back and did not too much, drank and, and drank and were merry and the the economy life the world was run the roman world run by over 60 million men and women employed in slavery and when paul spoke he was writing these were radical words we've looked at this again and again when we looked at marriage when paul wrote to couples in the time. Remember, we looked at that. Then we looked at what it meant for fathers in the Roman world, and Paul spoke. Now Paul speaks into the Roman world again. Not that he speaks out against slavery, but what he teaches dealt with slavery, that several hundred years later, slavery began to die out in the Roman Empire. But what he has to say here can really cross over into life. The whole of the working life was done by other people, In slavery, and what the words that he has to share this morning and what we're going to look at can cross over into some principles for life, our working lives today. You might feel that you're a bit of a slave at the school, or a slave at the office, or a slave at work. I don't know what you might feel like. A slave at home, as a housewife, or a husband, a house husband, or whatever you might be doing. But um, there are some principles for working life that we can see in this passage, and we're going to move quickly and look at some of those things. Um, But at that time, you say, I don't like Mondays. At that time in Roman life, you didn't like Mondays, Tuesdays, Wednesdays, Thursdays, Fridays, Saturdays, or Sundays. Your life wasn't the best of lives for the majority of people that were at work at that time. And Paul then says, what I'm about to read is radical, it's amazing, and it can pertain to life today in God's new order of society to change the world. So a number of things. We're going to look at, uh, we could cross over. So we the Staves and Masters. We could look at employees and employers. We're going to just sort of cross over and look at some principles for working life, um, per se. Okay, so um, for you and I in working life, um, as an employee, there's three things that I want to say. Number one, that we can see three principles. Um, whatever you do in your working life, whether you're volunteering, you're not getting a salary for what you do, or whether you're you're getting recompensed in a salary. The first principle that we see is this. We are really not working for your boss, your manager, the National Health Service, although you are, or the education authority, or your church that you're working for, or whatever. The first thing that we see is that we're really serving and working for God. The first principle, the attitude of our lives can be this. And this is what Paul says in verses 5 to 7, we read this. It says, Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Verse 5 at 6, Obey them not only to win their favour when their eyes are on you, but like slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving in the Lord. So our attitude, life, work, what will help us is have an attitude that looks to the life that I live, I'm ultimately living for God. You know when we sang that song, we're going to live for your glory, this is a really practical way because Paul said, now live a life that's worthy of God. And that song that we sang this morning, we want to live for your glory, one of the ways that we can live for God's glory is to work with an attitude that says, yes, I'm working for my manager. Yes, I'm working for my salary. Yes, I'm working for the health service. Yes, I'm working for the church. Yes, I'm working for an education. Yes, I'm I'm a mum and I'm looking at my family or I'm a dad giving my life. We're doing it for, yes, my family. Yes, your boss. Yes, for a salary. But I'm ultimately doing it to to give glory to God, to live for God. And Paul says, have that attitude. It will transform. You know, when you have that Monday morning feeling I'm living for you, God. I'm living for you, God. He's speaking to slaves. He's speaking to people whose lives are sold to their master. And he's saying to them, live with an attitude of living for God's glory. Now, he says the same thing to the masters. He says the same thing to masters, which is radical as well. But first of all, for you and I. So our attitude, our heart, you know, it's been said that your attitude will determine your altitude. Your attitude in life, your outlook on life, that's not psychological babble. It says, have this, have the mind of Christ. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Have this mind, have the mind of Christ. And so our attitude says, with your whole heart. The idea there is the heart and attitude is I'm living for God. I'm doing this for you, God. It will help you getting Grumpy when you are grumpy and you're feeling grouchy and you're feeling bad and you're feeling your boss isn't looking after you and he might not be or she might not be and your job isn't going the way that it should and you don't get enough money or you don't get recognised and you might not get enough money and you might not be recognised and those things probably need to be put right and we don't doubt that. But the attitude that Paul says is this, first of all and foremost, an attitude, the new society, the new life. We want to give God glory that we are living for God's glory. Why does he say that? Because we believe in the Bible it says this, the earth is the Lord and everything in it. Everything is God's. The whole earth, the world. I know that we work for earthly masters. Of course we do. I'm not a fool. But we live it and work it in an attitude. This is why in the early church, some of the best slaves were Christians because they lived for God and gave their best for God. And so many Roman masters said, give us those type of slaves. They're brilliant people. There was a different attitude. And it will take courage. It will take energy. It's going to take real desire to live for God because sometimes you can have a bad day. Tell me about it sometimes. But we're living. And the attitude of heart that Paul says, so for all of us, an attitude to work as a Christian is I'm doing this for God, doing this for your glory. And so he can say there some, some qualities there that he says, if that's the attitude, if we're going to live, I'm living for your glory, I'm living for God, I'm doing this for you, God. Of course I'm doing it for others. But ultimately I'm answerable to heaven. Every single person on the face of this planet will ultimately appear before God. He will resurrect the living and bring before, uh, before him the dead and bring before him the living, ultimately to face him. And so we say that we live for him. That's, now, to do that, we need the Holy Spirit. This is why Paul says earlier on, be filled with the Spirit. Because you'll have a day when you don't feel like that. You'll have days when you'll feel the complete opposite to that. When particularly when someone's not recognizing what you do, perhaps, but God sees your heart and your life. Now, we'll go on and we'll see. But he says there a number of things. And therefore, with that attitude, he says then, um, um, respect your master. Respect your employer. Um, it goes on to say, with sincerity of heart. And do this with all your whole heart. Do this wholeheartedly. So there's a number of qualities there. If we live for God... These, if, we, if we have an attitude that I'm doing this for you, God, I'm having a Monday morning feeling. Tell me why. I don't like Mondays. But then if we have an attitude to live for God, he then says, have these qualities. This will make you the best employer, employee ever. He says this, respect. Have a respect. Just honor them. Give them honor, even if they're not very honorable. But give them honor. Be sincere. Be real. Be truthful. Be honest. Do well. Don't Don't... When their backs are turned, he says, When you whether they see you or not, be consistent, give your very best. Sincerity, he says that there. He says, Go on, say, just it says it, be wholehearted. In verse 7, it says there. The translation means this: do this with all your heart. You've heard somebody say, put your heart and soul into this. Put your back into it. Put your heart and soul into this. Sometimes that's what the, the understanding there. The New Living Translation says this of that. Serve with enthusiasm. That's a great, I like that. The New Living Translation, where it says in the NIV, serve wholeheartedly, the New Living Translation says, serve with enthusiasm. It's a good translation, because to be wholehearted means to be of heart and soul. Enthusiasm is with a sense of energy in everything. It's not that you turn up and you do it because you've got to do it. I'm going to do this because I'm doing it for God and I'm going to give the very best with a sense of energy and enthusiasm. You know, the miracle of Christ's love helps us see past the mundane of everyday life. I want to say that again because that's not just a little ditty phrase. I believe this to be true. The miracle, it's only for you and I. How are we going to live like this? How are we going to do this as Christians? When you, you might feel that you're not getting the recognition or the post that you'd hoped. It's the miracle. It's having and seeing and knowing and focusing our lives and heart on the miracle of God's love that will help you see past the mundane of your everyday life. Tell me why I don't like Mondays. Tell me why and how I can get over Mondays. See the miracle of Christ's and God's love in your life to help you see past the mundane of today. That's going to take energy faith, devotion to say, God, I'm going to see you. I want to look to you. It's not a case of, well, I've I've got to do this. It's a job. I've got to do this. So whether you're in local government and authority, sweeping the streets, and neither is better or lesser than the other, but it doesn't matter what we do. We do it all to God's glory, and we give everything and give our whole lives to Him. And we don't just wait until we're seen to do that. That's the first thing. Second principle is this for you and I, is um, doing a good job is the will of God. We see here that doing your job well and doing a good job and giving your best, that's the will of God for you and I, whether we get paid or not, whatever we give ourselves to work to, family, home, life, doing our best is the will of God. It's not a case that I just cruise. Or We read there in... um, Verses six says, obey them, your masters or your boss, not only to win their favor when their eyes are on you, but like slaves, doing the will of God from your heart. Work, serving, giving, living, it's the will of God, it's the desire of God for our lives. You know, Christianity knows nothing about the sacred and the secular, some people say, you know, I'm working in a secular job. Uh, others will say, well, I'm 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 gonna I would much rather work in a uh, a sacred. I'd rather work in the work for the church and it be holy. There's no such thing. Everything is working for God. In actual fact, in the Christian world and life, there's the distinction between the sacred and the secular. We make everything holy. Everything is made holy. That's why we give thanks over our food. Our presence. That's why we take. Feet shod with the gospel of peace, so that we go everywhere. We take light wherever we go. Jesus prayed, Let your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. This This dichotomy, this separation between earth and heaven, they're brought together in Christ. All are made so that we can experience the heaven, the good, the great, the goodness of God on earth in our jobs. It's not a case that, well, I've got to do this job, but I'd much rather be serving God. You know, there's this idea that we just give all and just do all, but we give all to God, whether we serve him in local employment or employed in the church or in our jobs or we volunteer outside in the community or in the life of the church. All is for the lord and all is this idea of together and so we can take jesus wherever we go in actual fact the church we're called to be salt and light we're the salt of the world the light of the world and so we're called to be in the world in actual fact if we all just came out of the world never were in the world where would we be so jesus says take me into all the world and so there's this idea that whatever we do, we're doing it for God. Doing a good job is the will of God. Christianity doesn't know any... One writer said, Christianity knows nothing of the sacred and the secular. All is made holy by the presence of God. So don't beat yourselves up if you wished you could do this. and You, you know, people will be called. It's a calling to, to serve God in a certain way. When I first became a Christian, just before I became a Christian... I, um, I worked in electronics as an electronics engineer. I was just about to graduate as an engineer. So I moved from technician to engineer. But in that time, when I became a Christian, initially as a Christian, I thought, I'm going to just give my very best to the job I'm in. I had no, you know, at that time, I would just, when I went to study, I studied the very best because I wanted to do it for God. Um, I went from uh, doing O-level maths and coming um, 21 out of 25 in my class, uh, getting at an O-level U, so I think you just put your name on the piece of paper, probably, to when I became a Christian and I um, began to go to college to do my HNC, being in and I don't, this is not a brag, but I went into the top five of a class of 30, getting A-level maths. It's pretty amazing. I amazed myself. I wanted to give. I didn't just cruise and turn up as I did when I went to school. I wanted to give my very best to God. I'm not saying that, but you just give our best in whatever we're called into at that time and in our lives. So, third thing that we're called to. So, we see there that we're serving God, and we have an attitude that doing a good job is the will of God in whatever you're called to. Thirdly, as as employees for you and I, we um, our reward is of God. He says in verse eight, there, the Lord will reward you. If you don't feel right now, you've been recompensed as you should be. You're not given the promotion that you'd hoped. Not, no one's actually patting you on the back as you should be. And it's good we need to be affirmed. We, we're encouraged by this. This is what Paul says will encourage you, because those slaves that weren't getting the devotion that they'd hoped, Paul encourages them, says, look, do it for God. Do your very best, and remember this, that God will reward you. God is the rewarder, of his people. We've got to get hold of this because sometimes even in Christian life and in church life, we say, oh, no one sees me. and Perhaps nobody does, but God will reward us. And he says there in verse eight, if I can see it, because you know that the Lord will reward everyone for whatever good he does, whether he's slave or free. God will reward you. God is the rewarder of our lives. It will help you not get all beaten up and twisted, and cynical about life, and church, and your boss, and your work. You're the rewarder, Lord. You reward me, Father God. I do this for your glory. And um, there's a story of a missionary. And this missionary couple were returning from Africa. And um, it was around about the time... When President Roosevelt, these were an American missionary couple, returning from Africa back to America, and they came by ship many months back to America. President Roosevelt had just been returning from America as well. He'd been on a hunting trip, shooting in in Africa. And uh, when Roosevelt arrived at the docks, uh, wherever it was in New York, there was a fanfare, red carpet, the crowds were out to see him. Uh, This little missionary couple, they arrived Uh, Nobody saw them. Nobody greeted them. They had their two beaten up cases. Roosevelt was escorted to a a great reception at the biggest hotel. This couple went to a little uh, B&B where nobody actually saw what they were doing. It's a true story. And uh, the, 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 the missionary husband said to himself and said to his wife, where's our reward? Roosevelt's been shooting animals in Africa and the whole world has come to see him. And we've been working for God our whole lives. And here we are in this little beaten up room. And as they prayed that evening, and uh, they were upset. And you could say, maybe they were rightly so, to feel perhaps a little bit upset. As they prayed that evening, and they read their Bible together, the God reminded them of something. And it was this. Your reward. You will receive your reward. You're not yet home. You're not home yet. Although they returned to America, when they would see Jesus face to face, they would see their reward. The idea being that one day when they were with Jesus face to face, they would see all the people who were touched by their lives who are now swept into the kingdom of God. God is the rewarder. You might not have to wait to heaven to get that reward. Whatever it might be in your job, or your life, your home, your family, it can happen here on earth. But to know this that God, as says, Paul says there, is the rewarder of our lives. So those three things then, for you and I as an employee, is this idea to serve, we're serving God. Secondly, there's this idea that we do our good job, the very best, uh, whatever that we're called into, and to do that in the life that we're called, volunteering, family, home, husband, wife, children, whatever it might be that we're doing. And thirdly, that God is our rewarder. If we then move on to, you might find yourself now in a position of authority. You might be a supervisor, a manager, And uh, this is now speaking to those in authority. So we move on to masters uh, briefly, and then we'll close and pray. It speaks now to masters, employers. And, uh, you know, in the kingdom of uh, God, equality does not banish authority. He still speaks to masters and slaves. Just because the kingdom of God has come and says, where is slave and free? There is still a sense of order and authority in life. There's still servants and masters. There's still employees and employers. Um, But... um, we understand this that God's love in our lives is a great leveler. God's love in your life is a great leveler. There's this idea of mutual submission. We give one to another. We've understood this. You can have someone that's in authority, but they're not to be authoritarian. They can be in leadership, but they're not to lord it over you. And that's an idea for us if we're department leaders, you're a, you're a, you're a supervisor, you might even be in management, some of you. We're called to have authority, but not be authoritarian. We're called to lead, but not lord it over those around us. And this is what he's saying. You know, Christianity does not offer us an escape from circumstance. It offers us a conquest of our circumstance. Michael William Barclay said that, great Bible commentator. He said, Christianity doesn't offer us an escape from circumstance, but offers us conquest in the midst of circumstance. And for those slaves, they did not necessarily escape slavery but there was a conquest of that slavery in that life. And God was speaking to masters and slaves and his love in their lives. And the mutual submission would bring about a transformation of relationship. And so we see three things, a number of things that God says to those of us that would find ourselves in a position of authority or responsibility, whether that be church life, family, home, and work. He says this, says, masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Uh, Another translation says there, it says, and masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Another translation says, do the same to them. In other words, it says, seek their welfare. A master, seek an employer, seek your employee's welfare, supervisor, department leader, uh, whatever position you find yourselves in, seek the welfare of those that you have responsibility for or or authority uh, with. Uh, and for them seek their welfare in other words do the same in other words do the same but as you'd like to be treated treat them well too See, in the roman world a master could treat his slave could take their life if he felt they were just a possession paul was saying something radical he's now saying masters treat your slaves with respect the way you'd like to be treated treat them this is radical this will get rid of slavery And so he says to us, treat those around you as you'd like to be treated. So if you're a supervisor or a manager, you're a boss or whatever, a department leader in church life, then treat those that you want the same way as you'd like to be treated, with love, respect, care, affirmation. Not do this because I say. If you want respect, treat those around you with respect. There's no privileged authority here. Don't take those around you for granted. Uh, We have leadership, but we don't lord it over them and that's what it's basically saying the second thing that we see is this so treat those around us with a sense of respect second thing he would say to those that would find themselves in authority is um, he goes on to say treat them the same way do not threaten them don't threaten. it's the same thing as what he's saying to parents if we, but we looked at when he said parents it says do not um overbear on your children, or provoke your children to anger. It's a similar thing that Paul says: don't threaten them. He's basically saying, don't be overbearing. If you have a position of authority at work, don't be overbearing. You've got to get the job done, but there's a way of doing it, with respect, with affirmation. Of course, things have to be get done, but don't threat, don't use, don't use your position of authority as a power trip. And that can happen in church life. You can have some church leaders that can be overly authoritarian. But there's a way of getting things done. And this is what Paul is saying. Be careful how we use the position of our power. It's far better to affirm, to encourage, and to get things done than say, you've got to do, I want you to do. I mean, obviously, things do need to get done, but there's a way of doing it. It's what Paul is saying. And thirdly, so don't threaten, but affirm. And thirdly, um, observe this that even if you are a supervisor, you are a person in authority, uh, you're a, like we were looking at, at husbands in their homes, at parents with their children, uh, where we are in work life, whatever position of responsibility and authority you have, recognize this, he says this, since you know that, um, he says, Master, um, since, since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and there is no favoritism with them, to recognize this, that Jesus, God, is our master. You might be a master, but you have a master. You are under the master, and the master is Jesus Christ. Live a life but that makes Jesus the master. We are all subject to God the Father. And as a leader... So I'm not a soft touch. I'm not so easygoing. Anyone that will not come to blows with me, but will come, will come to know. I, but I, I would seek to affirm so i might not or so some people don't get me sometimes when they because i don't order people around so you got to do this you got to do that just because i don't do that church life and it, i'll take the approach that got to get something done and we will do this but we do it through a sense of affirmation love but to seek god as our master and at the end of the day we're all under jesus christ god the father you know as i said earlier love the love of god is a great leveler the love of God in our lives is a great leveller. Because if we love God and love each other as God loves us, then we will prefer and honour one another over each other. We won't score points. We won't get our own way. We'll honour one another. Now, that isn't pie in the sky. That's God's new society on earth. And we're called, and the only way we're going to do this is in the power of of the Holy Spirit God bless you let's pray so really a whistle stop tour of an attitude to work in the power of the Holy Spirit but now we are called to live our lives to live for your glory God and so this morning Father God we want to recognize that whatever work we do paid or voluntary unpaid we serve you whatever we do we want to do a good job because that's your will. And whatever we do, we know that you reward us, Father. Help us see that our reward comes from you. If we're in a position of authority, help us, I pray. Help those in authority and help those who relate to people in authority here this morning. That we would treat the, those around us with the best intention. First of all, we want their best welfare. The way i be treated, we want them. Secondly... We want to affirm, not threaten, and use our power. And finally, we recognize that you are our master. And we come under you, O oh God. Pray this morning, Father God, for people, work, heart, life, family, home. Some of us maybe right now have some pretty challenging circumstances, maybe with a manager at work or a supervisor at work. And uh, I just pray into people's work lives this morning, where by... We're feeling uh, underappreciated, not fully recompensed for the job that we do. I just pray for people right now that, Lord, would you just speak into their circumstance. Would you honour those folks as they seek to honour and live for you? And will you reward them as they seek to live for you and live for your glory? I pray, would you come into their need right now, Father God? There are people here this morning that are struggling with that perhaps. Perhaps. I pray this morning for people that would be in a position of responsibility and authority, and they're feeling the strain of that. It's, it's school, in education, you know, in the health service. Maybe we're managers or supervisors. Some of us have quite a lot of responsibility this morning, and feeling the toll and the heavy burden of that perhaps at times. Just pray that you would just come and refresh and, and, and encourage. And give fresh insight and hope and wisdom in their circumstance. And and just pour into hearts and minds right now a real sense of encouragement and hope. Pray for some of us as we've got to make decisions about what we're to do in life. Pray, Lord, that you would give wise decision. Reveal yourself. Pray for people that would give their lives to family and home. Encourage right now for people that volunteer and give their lives to serve in church and in the community. Just encourage those folks right now that whatever they do, they're doing for you, Jesus. And would you just reach out into all of our hearts and lives this morning so that we can do what? So that we can live for your glory. We pray that you'll help us do this in the power of your Holy Spirit. So will you fill us again this morning? In heart, mind, body, and soul. So we are energized, given fresh vision, energy, and strength to live for you. In your wonderful name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Have a great day. Enjoy the day. Enjoy the weather. Don't get too burnt. And we'll see you this evening. God bless you.